this is the fear of science. Alright. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the podcast that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new fear or fears, along with special guests, surprises, and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And Jeff, I'm super excited because it's time once again for one of my favorite recurring episodes here on Fear of Science, which is... Fear of Strange Fears. Wow. Three. Point two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited for the the behind the music episode. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So we're actually, this is our our second attempt uh, to record this episode because... We recorded, I don't even know how long ago, it was like six months ago, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I went to go edit the episode, I found out that the files did not upload correctly. Well, the the beauty of, of podcasting is that uh, we do get a chance to, again, be joined by uh, dear friends and uh, today some fellow podcasters who feel our pain, hopefully not as often, but uh, we're very glad to have them. Back here again for Fear of Strange Fears (laughs) 3.2. And it's now my honor to uh, introduce them to their microphones. One of our special guests is a video game developer and plays trombone in the Vancouver-based video game-themed ska punk band The Wavebirds. Our other special guest is a fantastic actor, voice actor, and wholesale produce seller... And together they are the hosts of the Tasty Podcast, Dessert Before Breakfast. Please join us in saying hello to Mike Dorval and Melanie Germain. Hello, Fear of Science. Hello. <laughs> um, it is so great to be back again for the first time. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having us. But but everyone, uh, how about let's let's dive into the crux of our fear of fears. Uh, Jeff, uh, for to remind me and our listeners, what is Fear of Fears? Yeah, so Fear of Fears was our sub-series in order to kind of catch some of those stranger fears that might not be an entire episode, but are still interesting to talk about. Um, so each of our guests, including ourselves, have, have taken a fear and then we've researched it, and we're going to chat about it. Normally, in in fear of strange fears one and two, uh, everybody knew what each other's fears was. But this time, it's totally different because we don't know what what the other people researched at all. So it's all new to us. Uh, so that's exciting. Aha! Wow! Absolutely. Well, uh, everyone, of course, we we rolled the fear of science official D twenty. And of course, uh, I I rolled lowest, so uh, I guess I'm going to go first. Go for it. Okay, so uh, everyone, so to start off, uh, we're going to start off by introducing the scientific Latin, possibly Latin, name of our fear, and then we're going to see if each other can guess what that fear may be. For example, my fear is titled... Decidophobia. 
the cytophobia. I mean, I, I feel like that might have something to do with making decisions. I'm, I'm, I, I have a bunch of different ideas, but I'm not sure which one I should choose. <laughs> I'm with you on the decision thing, but is it, is it the fear of making a decision or is it the fear of indecision? Mm. Or the fear of having too many decisions to what decide. See, oh. now, now, what, That's a good what one. <laughs> two of you, what our friends from dessert uh, uh, before breakfast are doing right now is actually making me feel this fear. Because indeed, you are correct. Uh, decidophobia is the fear of making decisions or fear of making the wrong decision. Ah. Or in my case, fear of being like, oh, which definition is most correct? <laughs> yes, uh, decidophobia. It is a term that was coined by Princeton University philo- philo- philosopher Walter Kaufman in the 1973 book Without Guilt and Justice. Uh, yeah, decidophobia is uh, is when you are so fearful, you, it can get to the point where you can get so afraid of making a decision that it can definitely start to have negative impacts on your life. Do any of you or me have this? I uh. don't think I do. <laughs> I... You saying that, you saying that you sounded mildly <laughs> unsure, which means that you couldn't make a positive decision. Either way, you have the sadophobia. Oh, no, I got to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I make a lot of decisions at my job every day, and I don't tend to be afraid when I do that. Uh, so I don't think I have it. I, I think I live with somebody who has... Um, a problem making decisions, but I don't think she has a fear of it. <laughs> she just doesn't want to do it. She just doesn't want to do it. Uh, Low level case. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's Yeah, it's also hard for me to say that I have a fear of it, but I, I constantly find myself in like analysis paralysis mode of like, there's so many decisions that I can't decide a thing, but I feel like that's pretty universal to the human experience. I would assume, I would assume there's someone out there that's just like, first decision is the best one always. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, oh gosh, I, th- I mean, there's that philosophy of like, yeah, what, what is the right decision? Or the, you could just live life being like, you know what, I'm going to make a decision and I'm just going to roll with it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Can you yeah. imagine living life? Can you imagine living life being like, no matter what the option is, I will always choose A. <laughs> Isn't there a Jim Carrey movie about yeah, that? Yeah, like yes man or like a that's, yes man. Oh, yes yeah. Man. But I think that's between yes and no. But can you imagine if someone's like, hey, um, yeah, what are you, uh, how, how are you going to get to work today? Are you going to walk? Are you going to take the bus? I'm going to walk. I didn't <laughs> tell you the other options. Well, it's too late, right? Or if it's like, ah, here's today's specials. They include, uh, uh, you know, shrimp, or you can get the lasagna. I'll have the shrimp. You're allergic to shellfish. Well, well uh, I always choose A. Okay. <laughs> or if you, <laughs> what if you're the kind of person that was so confident, so sure of themselves, that the very first thing they think of is always what they do? I mean, yeah. oh, I... I unfortunately am not that kind of person. <laughs> I, I, I think that there's definitely a part of me um, that, you know, uh, very similar to yourself, Mike, I, I do 
often suffer from, you know, uh, choice paralysis. You know, there's too many options, so I don't know, you know, what to do. I mean, oh man, I the the reason why I bought Pokemon Yellow because I didn't have to make that choice. I mean, Pokemon Yellow clearly is the greatest choice. That's right. Oh no, I made a choice. (laughs) You had to make that choice of not making a choice as well. That's right. Uh, So you know, uh, I I think that I can definitely relate to to some of these things where. There are definitely times when, you know, where you don't know when's going to be the right choice. So then sometimes you just let a choice linger until the decision is made for you. Ultimately, with with uh, fear of making the wrong decisions, you know, in the research that I, I looked up, you know, uh, it can start off with like small things, you know, what to eat, what to wear, but it it can get bigger. It can get more intense to the point where, you know, people can't decide, you know, things like where to live, where to take a job, you know, where, you know, whether or not to, to get married, you know, they can become completely dependent on other people or in the case of Gotham district attorney, Harvey Dent, a coin. Mm. Good reference. Good reference. Thank you, thank you. Uh, You know, I'm I'm trying to get in all of those pop culture references. Yellow, (laughs) Batman. But yeah, uh, uh, overall, you know, I I think that it's definitely, I think it's one that, you know, even though this this was coined in 1973, you know, even though we're, a lot of us are talking about like, oh, we're not sure if we have this fear necessarily, but I think a lot of us can definitely relate to, to, this general feeling, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that the more I think about it, the more I'm certain that I have it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, but I, I, my argument would be that everyone has different levels of it. I would say that mine yeah, is probably would, higher than most. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's always going to be some kind of decision you have to make where you're like, I don't want to make that decision. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make that hard decision, too. Yeah. Yeah. It also depends on the circumstance, I would guess. In the same way that, like, if someone had a gun pointed at your face, I feel like everyone would have a level of being afraid that that gun would be fired in their face. I feel like this is a thing that most people would be afraid of. Yeah. I would assume. I'd imagine a lot of professional Russian roulette players uh, (laughs) feel that way. This is the life I chose. <laughs> now, uh, in my in my research, I also discovered uh, there was a modern update uh, to the fr- uh, to the word that is uh, a phrase that I'm like, oh, of course, this this uh, I'm really glad that we've updated this phrase for the modern sensibilities. Claire Thorpe in the 2019 Mary Claire article. Uh, calls it FOBO. Calls it FOBO. Do you guys know what FOBO could stand for? Well, FOMO is fear of missing out. So FOBO is fear of boobing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's a very close. It is. Dang it. <laughs> fear, fear of better options. Fear of fear oh, of better oh. options. Oh, that's very good, actually. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, absolutely. The the anxiety that uh, out of all of the choices available, you might not pick the best possible one. 
again going back to the going back to the the pokemon you know uh, uh metaphor analogy you know it's like okay do you choose grass do you choose water or do you choose obviously charmander you would be yeah. a fool not to choose charmander <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah Thank you, Mike. charmander is all the way yeah Mm-hmm. I do like fear of boobing out though too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. wouldn't it be like fear of boob out? Well, it's like I don't know. In my mind, fear of boobing out was like you just woke up one day and they were gone. You know, <laughs> like where where'd they go? Or that could be a problem for Janet Jackson. <laughs> just calling up the Super Bowl from fifteen years ago. Wow, that's an old one. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, that that is the sadophobia, everyone. Who who rolled uh, next lowest on the fear of science official D twenty? Uh, I will be going next. Um, my fear is a blue toe phobia, which should be as obvious, if not more obvious, than Daniel's phobia. Oh, I know exactly what that is. That is the fear of Popeye's arch nemesis Bluto. <laughs> <laughs> Blutophobia? Ah, uh, blutophobia. Oh, uh, ah, blue. I thought you uh, were talking Bluto. about a single blutophobia. Ah, <laughs> uh, Bluto. A blutophobia. A blutophobia. Yeah. And that's supposed to be obvious. Is <laughs> is it? Michael, is, is it something yeah. to do with the color blue? Is, no. Is oh. is it? Uh, is hmm. Bluto. Bluto. Uh, is is it the fear? Fear of being bloated, blue, you know, bloated, Bluto. No, oh, this it is... isn't my topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's from the Latin ablutio, meaning a washing. Oh, obviously, obviously. <laughs> I mean, everyone here. I'm sure you guys are just a little I, rusty on sorry, your Latin. Am I allowed to swear? Am I allowed <laughs> you, to swear in this? You can in this instance. Awesome, Mike. You. <laughs> that was not obvious. <laughs> what the hell? Um, so, bluteophobia is the overwhelming fear of bathing, cleaning, or washing. Usually, um, people that have a bluteophobia have a strong body odor due to lack of cleanliness and bathing, and that makes sense. they makes sense, cover yeah. it with strong perfumes and deodorants. And this is kind of the same case as like i feel like most phobias where it's usually triggered by a traumatic event in the past right usually around drowning or water and Mm. it could be genetic in the sense that like it could be you know passed down through mental illness or things like that um it's also very common for children children do not like their baths Mm. makes sense Mm -hmm. i loved my bath when i was a kid yeah i don't i don't think i cared that much bubbles did you not like bubbles? I mean, bubbles were fine. I have no memory of liking or disliking baths, to be honest. Oh, they were just a thing that I did. I don't. I don't like bath. Like, I like showers, <laughs> but I think baths are stupid. What? Uh, yeah. Why? Because uh, you're oh. you're cooking, you're stewing yourself in your own <laughs> dirtiness. Yes. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta like wash yourself afterwards. I mean, yeah. if you do it right, you gotta like. It's like. You know, the heat like relaxes all the muscles and you got bubbles and it's like all soapy. Maybe if I had like a nice 
like really good jacuzzi high-end bathtub but i have a vancouver special crap <laughs> bathtub i'm i'm actually kind of right there with you i can't i don't think i've had a bath in years um but i i have a shower so i don't have a bluetophobia specifically but i just you know baths are just not my thing. <laughs> i do shower i swear yeah i do sh- yeah just just to be clear i'm not you know putting on perfumes or deodorants or anything i'm good um so the fear so, of washing yeah fear of so, washing okay. bathing cleaning yourself yeah well, <laughs> not other people not other people well <laughs> i mean i suppose it would apply to other people but yeah uh i think you know the thing with phobias is that you know agreed you know uh, uh so many phobias can definitely be traced back to traumatic instances so while you know uh uh some of these are definitely, you know, strange and unique, and I'm really glad that we are uh, exploring them here on Fear of Science. Uh, you know, I, it's also very important to also, yeah, realize that, oh, yeah, people who do have these, like, they don't have these by choice. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially if you are, uh, if you are someone who, I, I read this recently in a news article, but it's uh, someone who has, uh, an allergy to water. Have you guys heard of this? Oh, no. This, um, of course, this is one of our tried and tested uh, fear of science random tangents. But <laughs> I-, I read about this recently, and here's uh, here's an article about this. But basically, it's someone who has uh, aqu- aquagenic aquagenic UT Korea. Aquagenic UT Korea. Basically, it's you are allergic to water, where any contact with water, even her own. Uh, in this article, it's about a woman named Rachel. I think it may be, I'm not sure if it's a, a real name or a pseudonym, but any contact with water whatsoever, even her own sweat, leaves Rachel with a painful, swollen, and intensely itchy rash, which can last for several hours. So there are people who are allergic to any water, including your own sweat. To be to be technical here, she's allergic specifically to like her skin is allergic to water. Not necessarily she is allergic to water because she's people are basically made of water. (laughs) Ah, Yes. (laughs) If you're allergic to the inside of yourself, that would that would yeah that would would suck. Yeah. Drink water. You're like, well, I guess I'm just drinking Coke from now on. Well, yeah, and she has to be able to drink water. Like, or she'd die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's so interesting, though, that it would be like it makes sense too. Like, like, like people's skin could be as sensitive to all sorts of things. It makes sense that water would be one of those things. It just wow. Yeah, she would be justified in that fear of of cleaning. Then, yeah, sure. um, that person probably has a bluetophobia. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my wife. Callan, she's a voice actor. She's amazing. I love her. Um, before she was a voice actor, she uh, has training to become a social worker. She worked a lot in rehabilitation for people with brain injuries and mental illness. And from her experience, uh, aversion to showering is pretty common among people with brain injuries and depression. Um, it's usually like an aversion to being naked or usually a sensory thing around the water or the bathtub or the walls of the shower or anything like that. Um, Like if you're depressed, 
sometimes even feeling water on your skin can be painful. And just the the amount of uh, steps involved in, you know, get, getting undressed and then having a shower and then washing and then drying off and then putting clothes back on for, for people that are going through depression or people that are have had a brain injury. Um, it's kind of goes like, well, what's the point of doing all that if I'm not leaving the house or socializing or anything like that? So it's actually mm-hmm. fairly common among those people. Yeah. I was actually reading an article the other day talking about how during the pandemic, people have used so much less water um, and has showered so much less. And it was interesting because it was like a Facebook article and there was like all the comments of everyone being like, that's disgusting. You have to shower every day. That's unclean and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, like even before the pandemic, I didn't really shower every day. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think you really need to shower every single day. Um, and now during the pandemic, I definitely don't shower every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I found this other article that was interesting about what it's like to have this phobia. And this is a person who actually was diagnosed as schizophrenic and, uh, they were put on medication for it. And something that I learned about this, like by reading this article is that like putting, being put on on medication for schizophrenia only really deals with like the delusions and hallucinations part of the illness, but stuff like lack of hygiene or things that, that you've kind of developed over time doesn't necessarily go away. Like you need to work on it with therapy. So this is kind of what, what she says about it. I've never specifically had therapy to untrain myself from my habit of poor hygiene. It never has crossed my mind, honestly, because I've had more pressing symptoms that needed attention. Specifically, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother as a child. She only bathed me once a week and never instructed me to use a sponge or scrub myself. Instead, she's more concerned with not having any splashes of water go beyond the tub. When I made a little spill of water, whether during bath time or at the dinner table, she cleaned it up as if she were putting out a fire. The connection becomes, I don't want to be in water. It seems dangerous. The adult has told me so. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying about like traumatic experiences. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily like there was a drowning or something drastic. It was literally just, this is what bath time was like for me as a child. And I kind of just carried it through me as an adult and my mental illness kind of kept it there. But when I sort of medicate myself for mental illness, that didn't really go away. Like she had to work on getting rid of it essentially. Um, and the c- most common way to deal with this illness is with CBT or exposure therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's also, I also found an interesting, uh, article about like hygiene hacks when you're depressed, like when you don't feel like having a shower, but maybe like you still want to like sort of halfway go. Cause like sometimes, you know, you're just having a bad day and like, maybe you only need a halfway step things like using dry shampoo or, um, you know, using mouthwash or, or having a shower suite or even like asking for help from a partner or someone if you're having like a really bad day. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, that side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can just spray yourself with a whole bunch of Axe body spray. Yeah, or you do that. That's yeah. why it was made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Uh, I am glad to know a little bit more about ablutophobia. Mm-hmm. The obvious hey. one. Who Who is next on our, on our list of, of, uh, of people who is telling us all about their fears that they researched. Ooh, that was me. Um, so the fear that I chose 
is dipnophobia. Dipnophobia? Or deepnophobia. D-E-I-P-N-O-phobia. Dipnophobia. The fear of D20s. I have no fear of D20s, but yeah. yes. No one should. That is no, correct. No, I'm kidding. That's a lie. That is not correct. Oh, no. This is way less obvious than mine. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? I see. Uh, uh, deep no. Uh, is, it, is it a fear of uh, running out of, of dip cones at Dairy Queen? Actually, very close. Oh, oh what? <laughs> No, it's not. It's not close at all. (laughs) I'm just going to do this to each one of you. (laughs) Mike, now you make a suggestion and I'll tell you what's right. Uh, I'm going to say fear of drinking milk. Hmm. Yeah, sure. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. You're wrong. So, uh, deep no. Dipe no. It is the Greek from the same word, dipno, which means dining or dinner. So any with one food related was kind of close. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It is the fear of dining. Oh, interesting. So, oh. but when I say dining, it's like dinner conversation. Not oh. really having to do with the food, but more having to do with the social aspect of it. Uh, oh. Having a conversation with somebody. Um, the wiki for this says that it is usually triggered from a past traumatic experience, like having been forced to have dinner with strangers or was set up on a blind date who ended up having dinner with an arrogant, intolerable, annoying person and feared subsequent dinner conversations with other people. One might have had a traumatic dinner with one's boss or had a bad business outcome because of a dinner and this triggered the phobia. Uh, they prefer Mm -hmm. eating... They'll, they'll prefer eating at home or eating uh, than eating out alone. Uh, sorry, or eating out alone. So just it's a basically it's a phobia that leads to isolation. People who have it tend to be considered introverts. Hmm. Yeah. I bet a lot of people who have done online dating in Vancouver have this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, this one, this one definitely spoke out to me because I'm not going to lie, having going out for dinner and having like dinner conversations is one of my favorite things to do. So this one is um, this one's scary. I don't have it, but I would I don't think I would I would want this one. I mean, I don't I don't want any phobia, but like this one would hurt a lot. I think that's what I'm missing the most during the pandemic is not being able to go to restaurants and just like have drinks with friends. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. I think we we all have a case of it right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or yeah. like we all have that longing to for like that social interaction, but I guess somebody with with dipnophobia during this time is probably probably having a ball, you know, <laughs> not having to go out to those social things. But Although I've had some friends that are extremely introverted where at the beginning of the pandemic they were like this is amazing i don't have to talk to anybody and now they're like okay i'd like to talk to people again (laughs) (laughs) that'd be great yeah that's fair i feel like i know people that would that prefer to eat it alone i don't necessarily know if it's a phobia thing or just a preference thing yeah Mm -hmm. 
yeah. There's, there's definitely been times where I, you know, I, I do identify as being uh, an, either an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert. But, you know, there are definitely times when I, I really need, I seek out, I crave connection and conversation. However, Absolutely. there are times when, you know, uh, let's say it would be at a, a past workplace, you know, working in an office. And there'd be times when I'm like, okay, I just, uh, the rest of my day, I have to see people. I have to talk to people. I'm in meetings. I don't have time to myself. And so if I'm sitting in the lunchroom area and I'm able to just sit and eat and maybe read some articles on my phone or read a book that I bring and just eat and just be by myself, that's what I want. And so if I see someone coming over or walking nearby and they look like they want to sit and start a conversation, you know, there's definitely parts of me that's like, no, no, please, please let me, just let me eat and and be alone for a brief moment. So Mm. I I can definitely relate to parts of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you always have that one person at your office that when you're having lunch, you know, they're going to come over and sit with you and talk about work more. And you're yeah. like, I'm trying not yes. to work right now. <laughs> yeah. I really love like the dining experience, but I'm actually not opposed to like having dinner by myself, going out and just like spending some me time. I think people deserve that sometimes too. Does anyone else feel comfortable doing a solo dinner venture? I have before. Um, I don't know if I would say I'm necessarily comfortable doing it. I always feel a little bit strange doing it. Hmm. What I did like doing before I met my partner is I loved going to movies by myself. Mm. Um, and now it's only changed because I love going to movies with my partner. So right. like, it's, mm-hmm. it's changed in that sense. That, But, you know, I knew a lot of people that would be like, oh, I'd never go to the movie theater by myself. But I loved it. Like, just sitting there and not having to worry about anyone else and just, mm-hmm. yeah, enjoying it. I, I don't think I would ever like purposely sit in a restaurant and have dinner by myself. Like I have a weird like thing around that where like, if like if I'm out, I'd rather just get fast food or get something quick. Mm, and, yeah. Like if I'm not going to be with someone, like I wouldn't, I already get takeout. Like I would have no reason to go. I feel like I might've done that. Like maybe once or twice in my entire life, I would go sit down at a restaurant and order food. You know what I mean? Mm. Like by myself. I definitely never go to a fancy restaurant. I don't think I'd go to a fancy restaurant most of the time, period. But definitely not. You're missing out, man. Fancy restaurants are the bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you go to fancy restaurants by yourself? Uh, No, I tend to go with uh, family. Uh. Family and friends. Um, I went to, I actually went to Annalena's like right before the pandemic hit like super hard, which is a Mm. restaurant in Vancouver. And it was fantastic. Phenomenal. Oh. I love good Having food. some wine. Oh my gosh. Delicious. So with um dipnophobia, it is it's definitely a social anxiety thing. Uh like having to go to dinner with a person and then it's like that fear of being judged or like on the way you eat or like on what you choose, like that kind of stuff. So um and it, it's it's definitely it's like a the the symptom is like a panic attack like social like you know the regular social anxiety type Mm -hmm. things that you can get which is just um really poopy i actually found a an article um women women's health mag from like 
2018, I believe. Yes, by Chrissy Brady, who actually has dipnophobia, and she wrote all about her experience with it. And um, that was really interesting. And uh, she's she's working on it. And, you know, she says, basically, don't don't give in to the fear or something along those lines of like, you can't give in to the fear all the time of like basically cutting off everybody in your family and not going to those dinners or whatever, because then you're just alone. You're just it's isolation. Right. So, yeah. Unless you unless you want that isolation, which I don't know, we're all testing that theory right now of if you want that isolation. And uh, fun story, when I met my friend, um, well, she was she was my boss and I was actually I I thought she was really fun and stuff. So I was like, hey, would you like to catch dinner or something? I kept because that's I love food. So I'm just like when I want to hang out with a person, I'm like, hey, let's go eat. Let's go have food and share food together. And I'll, or I'll feed you or something like, I don't know. And she turned me down four times. Ooh. Ooh. So, so when, when that happened, like we're, we're good friends now. So I actually, when I was researching this, I messaged her. It's like, do you have this? <laughs> uh, and she says, she said, probably not like maybe, maybe on, on the spectrum of it or something, but she turned me down four times and I was just persistent enough to, to make sure that it did happen eventually. So was her reasoning that she just didn't want to spend time with you? <laughs> she, has, she, she, she has a thing about food. Was her excuse every time? Maybe it's like the first time it was because of me. The second time was like, okay, well maybe I'll give in a little bit or whatever. Uh -huh. But I don't know. Maybe she was just playing hard to get. I don't know. Um, but I got her. So yeah, she, she's, she's laughing my now. now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, th thank you very much for, for sharing that fear. Uh, and now, last but definitely not least, Jeff, what what is your fear? I have uh, a phabophobia. A phabophobia. Phaba. Is is it a fear of do? Uh, is it a fear of doing something nice for other people? No, like favor phobia. I need you to do me a favor. A favor. Hey, a favor. <laughs> it's like Italian favors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it? Uh, is it a fear of the Feywild? Oh no, that's not not a fear of Fey. That's a good guess, though. Thank you. Um, is, is it fear of being inauthentic? Ah. Uh, a little bit, but not really. <laughs> it is the fear of young people. Ah. I have this. Yeah, you actually have? no. It's it's less of a fear and more of a of hatred. A hatred. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you may have. Uh, so as I was doing research, um, I found out there's another term that goes along with it called juvenoia, which oh. is paranoia of youth. Wait, when we say youth, how how young are we talking? You know, it's there's not an exact definition. Um, it tends to just be people who are younger than you. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of it tends to be around technology as well, um, and is very closely associated to the fear of technology. It's it's the generation uh, younger than you that knows things that you don't know. Tends to be oh. a large amount of it, or gotcha. has another culture that you're you don't know about 
Okay. I have neither of the things. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't like kids and that slang and all that hippity hop music. You know, <laughs> as yeah. as old people say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I don't have that. Um, but yeah, it's also the the fear of change, uh, realizing that the next generation coming up um, is changing society and making big changes, and you don't want to make those changes. Um, right. So that is also very much attached to it. I found out some, I, I really got into the history of this. Um, so fear of youth has actually been purposely built into our society. Um, and this, mm. I will warn you that I'm going to sound like a bit of a conspiracy theorist here. <laughs> so early American Puritans um, actually built in that fear of, of youth because they wanted to stop adventure and enlightenment. So, yeah. Yeah, the, that seems it's, right. <laughs> it's been very documented that that they would be like, oh, well, the kids are going off and fornicating and not listening to their elders and all this. So, yeah, fear of, of youth has actually been used to control the generation uh, below as well, which I find very interesting. That's very That's interesting. Weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My... Um... Gosh, like I fear I need like now I feel like I need to defend myself because I don't feel that. (laughs) And yet I stated that I did at the beginning. (laughs) Sure, sure. You're just trying to keep down the kids. (laughs) No, it's not keeping down the kids. Okay, here, let me just do let me just do like a quick analysis of the children from Jurassic Park to the children of Jurassic World. (laughs) So in Jurassic Park, the first time you meet the kids they like they go and hug their grandpa and they love him and they're like hey grandpa how's it going are we gonna have a fun time at this park and he's like yeah we're gonna ah but i can't spend that much time with you but i'm gonna do my best do you like those kids uh i liked those kids (laughs) i cheered for them in that park when they were about to get eaten i was like no don't die now let's go to Jurassic world for one second those two boys when they when we first meet them, they they meet their aunt, who they don't like. She doesn't like them. They get put with the secretary. They're dicks. They're assholes. The older one is a creep and stares at every girl that he can find, which is just such a dick move. And then when it gets to that part where they might die, I'm like, yeah, do it, kill them. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what it is. For me, personally. Yeah. I I would argue that it's the difference between good and bad writing for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's I mean, fair. You got Spielberg and then you got Colin Trevorrow, who created uh, The Book of Henry, which was considered to be one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's But, like, when I bring up this topic with other people, they very much say, well, that's that's what kids are nowadays. So they're making it like more accurate, I guess. Like, I don't know what it is, but like the way that children are portrayed in movies nowadays, they just always seem to be dicks. And I guess social media has done that to me or like cult, like, you know, movies and TV shows have done that to me. Because I don't think I actually know a child or like a teenager who's a who's a big old dick, but. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because like I, I was gonna try to refute you, but then I realized that I know very few children, so like I don't actually know. They could all be dicks. I, I don't have to interact with them as much. I like toddlers and stuff. They they they're fun and they're 
cute and stuff and then they become teenagers and you're just like what 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 is this (laughs) what are you yeah yes i do fear you in some ways (laughs) you know what's an interesting um thing that i found out about um ephabophobia is it is one of the few fears that they believe has always existed Interesting. Interesting. Because they're the the current the older generation has always feared the youth in some way. It doesn't matter yeah. what time period. Yeah. Except maybe like the first cave people, or like we're the first generation. Well, I mean, if if you bring it down all the way to like animals, if you you know animals have babies, but in the end, the babies go off and they do the same thing you do and their their whole goal is to do it better than you. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they eat the parents, but I mean... <laughs> I mean, depending on what animal, I think, yeah, they do. Yeah. Right? Well, and also during the Industrial Revolution, um, there actually were media campaigns that were created um, to, to make people afraid of the youth because if the kids weren't going to school... Um, then there was a lot of pressure of them taking the jobs. Oh my um, God. Yeah. That's crazy. yeah. Cheap yeah. labor, also tinier hands, which I'm sure are more nimble for doing things. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. And they were willing to work hard um, to and almost volunteer to do it, which because they had the luxury of not having to, to necessarily pay bills or do anything like that, like the adults had to do. And here I thought that uh, child labor was like a human rights issue. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fascinating. Like I, I really got into to reading a lot yeah. about it. And but it is such a divisive topic as well, because like depending on your age, you're going to like screw kids or what the hell adults. That's yeah. two sides. That's it. I like to think that kids get out of that di- dickish phase, though. You know, like the teenagers kind of grow into adults and proper people uh, i know some adults that didn't do that <laughs> daniel chai has his doubts here have, have you been on twitter lately <laughs> no i don't have twitter anymore um and i it's because it's so damn toxic <laughs> so i don't want to be in there you know that's the well you know i i think that you know that said i think that there are uh, there are definitely examples of you know children being good and children giving up, you know, making, being the change and, and being the, uh, you know, the reason why I have hope for the world. But yeah, uh, I think that this, this fear, it is fascinating that it is considered to be such a long standing fear. And it's fascinating because all of us were like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it doesn't really have, oh gosh, it doesn't have to do with the change because like change is good. Change is a good thing. It has to do with attitude and entitlement. Yeah. It is largely attached to privilege as well. Yeah. Um, And being like, you know, I got here and I don't want to give up what I have to to some kid. Mm -hmm. Ah, Take Uh, it. (laughs) (laughs) Take it. You want this? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Go ahead. That portrayal of like teenagers in in media nowadays is is something that i can talk about for a really long time because i just hate it i hate it so much yeah and i don't know if it's if it's the fact that kids are worse or that but portrayals are more accurate 
Like, it really is interesting. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, uh, I now know to cross the street when I see a child walking my way. <laughs> Good advice all around. <laughs> now, uh, it, it's now time of the uh, Fear Fears episode where we now need to decide for ourselves which of these fears, if you were to wake up tomorrow and be afflicted with one of these fears, which one of these fears would you most hope to not have? My fear was decidophobia, fear of making decisions or making the wrong decision. Uh, Ablutophobia, fear of washing. Fear of dining. And fear of youth. Hmm. Which fear would you most not want to have? I think it would be between making decisions or being clean. I think it would have to be being clean because I think that would affect, eventually, that would affect my life a hell of a lot more day to day. Although being able to make a decision, you know, what's funny. I can't make a decision about those two right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go with being clean. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you on, on that one. Mine will probably be between fear washing and dining. Because again, my father is a chef. Food is a very big part of my life. And I just need to have that dining experience. If I wouldn't be able to do that, I wouldn't be able to see my family and I wouldn't be able to see my friends. And that's, yeah, okay, yeah. No, it's fear of dining. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that at all. Hmm. That breaks my heart if that's that people feel that. Yeah. I mean, like I need to go into the technicalities of this. Cause like I do, like I mentioned before, <laughs> I do think I have uh, a fear of decisions. I, I do think I have that at some level, at some capacity. Um, but then is it, it's not a hundred percent, right? Like, like eventually you do make a decision. Whereas someone who is a fear of bathing could potentially never bathe. Like, eventually, yeah. you would make a decision? You'd have right? no choice but to make a decision. There yeah. Would, I don't know how you'd live your life without... Unless you were like Bruce Wayne, and he could just be like, Alfred, make all my decisions for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like that's the thing is that it's... It, it would depend on the severity of the decision. Cause it's, it's hard for me to envision that, because it's very easy to be like, you don't wash. Like, it's, it's very easy to see what that happens. Like, it has happened. I saw some examples of that happening when I was researching of people that just don't wash, right? Um, and it's a finite thing, whereas the decision thing is a lot more abstract. Because, like, you still make decision to breathe, I suppose. You know what I mean? Like, mm, yeah. I feel like, like, the most extreme example of making decisions where you can, every decision you're scrutinizing, that would be an exhausting way to live, an exhausting way to deal with. I think that would be the one that I wouldn't, like, if it was worse than what I already had, I wouldn't be able to deal with it. So, mm. yeah. For for myself, it, it would be a, a blutophobia. It would be the, the fear of bathing as well. Um, I think that, uh, you know, worst comes to worst, I, I take a page from Gotham District Attorney Harvey Dent, and I just get a coin, and I, I flip it. And it's like, well, I guess today I'm having Cheerios, right? <laughs> um, but, but the fear of bathing, you know... Um, uh, I think that cleanliness is important and uh, 
but yeah, that's uh, so uh, everyone. That is uh, the fear of strange fears that we have discussed today. But hey, listeners, what? Uh, which one of these fears would you not want to wake up tomorrow and be afflicted with? But uh, if you are listening, hey, let us know. Uh, send us a message. Uh, tweet us. Find us on the Instagrams and Facebooks. Uh, we are on your social media channels. And while you're finding us on social media at at Science Fears, uh, you can also hang out and say hello to our friends at Dessert Before Breakfast. Hey, guys, what is Dessert Before Breakfast? So Dessert Before Breakfast is about... It's a podcast where we watch the last episode of a TV series that we've never seen before. And uh, there's usually someone there to sort of take us through the series and sort of explain, yeah, explain us what's going on. Um, And it's kind of like part explainer, but also part comedy and mostly just um, like an exploration of like someone's fandom. It's like, you're really excited about this show. Tell us why you love this show. And we can sort of like meet in the middle and sort of see and appreciate you know, just a little, little bit of a shallow dive, a little bit of a toe dip into your your fandom. Mike and Mal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having thank us you. again yeah. for the first time. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, we will hang out and chat with you all again very soon. Again, my name is Daniel Chai, and I'm Jeff Porter, and we are Fear of Science. Take care and see you soon, everyone. <laughs>